Thank you for joining the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tim McLaughlin. Thank you again for joining us today on our podcast. As always, hope that these are a blessing to you. Our desire is to encourage you, to give you a place where you can encounter the Lord, and to equip you with the Word of God for the times that we live in. Today, I want to begin to speak to you about a uh, about faith. You know, that's not something you hear preached a whole lot about anymore nowadays. Um, so many people will, you know, I, I think that we need to motivate people. We need to encourage people. We need to lift people up. But if we don't talk about faith, if we don't talk about the Word of God and how the Word of God builds our faith and, and how we can build our relationship and draw closer to God, um, you know, the, the reality is, is being happy, being encouraged, you know, having a pat on the back is always good. But what happens when tragedy strikes? What happens when things don't always go your way? Uh, what happens when, you know, again, you know, the times that we're living in and things just begin to crumble, if your faith is not where it needs to be, uh, what, what are you going to fall on? What are you, what are you going to do? What's, what, what are you going to think about? Who are you going to go to during those times? We need to build up our faith to understand that God is with us always and, and we need to understand what the promises in His Word are for us and that only comes when we understand the true meaning of faith and we know how to walk according to it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I love this passage of Scripture in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It's probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God is a rewarder of those who are diligent about seeking Him. That, that word diligent, well, we'll break that down sometime, but, but it's really about somebody that's willing to grab a hold of and not let go no matter what's going on in their life. And that's where we need to be. We need to be diligent. We need to hold on to, to God and the Word of God and the things of God and not let them go, not, not be swayed by the things of the world. So why do I think that faith is so important? Well, in 336 times in the King James Bible, it uses the word faith. 422 times in the NIV, 378 times in the American Standard, 227 in the Message, 509 times in the Amplified, 505 times in the New Living Translation, 474 in the English Standard, 625 times in the Contemporary English, 379 in the New King James, 308 in the New Century, 341 in the 21st Century King James, uh, 347 in the American Standard, 505 times in the New Life Version, and 540 times in the Holman Christian Standard. I believe faith is important if it's mentioned that many times in the Bible. So what is faith? Well, we know from the Word of God that the Bible says in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Does that make sense? I mean, does everybody get that? I mean, think about it. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, that word hoped means confident expectation. So faith is the substance of having a confident expectation in things, but it is not, uh, it's not the evidence of things seen. I think so many times that's where we struggle in the society that we live in is it's got to be seen and, and more than believed. When we walk in faith, we believe what the Word of God says. We believe because the Word says that's the way it is. But so many in the world today, we've got to see it. They've got to touch it. It's got to, it's got to be right there in front of them. So as we start looking at what this faith means, let's understand the Bible dictionary definition of faith. The Bible dictionary says, faith is the allegiance to duty of a person. Faith is loyalty, fidelity to one's promises, sincerity of the intentions, beliefs, and trust in and loyalty to God. It's the belief in the traditional doctrines of religion. It's a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. Faith is complete trust, something that is believed with strong conviction without question. So if we go back and we take the definition of faith into account, Hebrews 11.1 1 again says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can read that verse of Scripture this way without changing uh, the Scripture, but bringing greater clarification to it. You could say, faith is complete trust in God, and without it, it's impossible to please Him. Without an allegiance to God, it's impossible to please God. Without a commitment to God's promises and sincerity of His intentions, it is impossible to please Him. So why do we need to have this kind of faith in order to please God? See, your relationship with God is largely determined by your faith. In order to go to God, you must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He is exactly who the Bible says that He is. You must also believe that He will respond to you when you go to Him. His Word says if you do not have this kind of faith, you cannot please Him regardless of how good of life you think you have lived. You may do a lot of good deeds. You may speak encouraging words to others. You may give to the needy. You may attend a church faithfully. But if you do not have faith in God, you're not pleasing to Him. People can try to substitute religious activities for faith or claim to be good stewards of their resources. But if they do not have faith in God, they are walking by sight which is what they know, instead of walking by faith, which is a complete trust in God. People like this will refuse to do what God says unless they can see the outcome first. You may say, well, I love God, but I have trouble trusting Him. Then you're not really pleasing Him. You cannot struggle with your relationship with God and still enjoy fellowship with Him. However, faith in God does not eliminate your problems. Faith keeps you in a trusting relationship with God even in the middle of your problems. Let me say that again. 
I believe that's important. Faith keeps you trusting in a relationship with God even in the middle of your problems. Faith has to do with your relationship with God, not your circumstances. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 through 20. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. It says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, Jesus wasn't saying to his disciples uh, that, that they could speak to these mountains because he wanted to rearrange the landscape on the earth. But he was saying this to them to show them how powerful faith in God is. See, it's not about moving the mountains, but it's about having complete trust in God, knowing that if you needed to, you could. See, a mustard seed is the smallest seed of all the plants. And Jesus is saying, God is so powerful that even a little faith can do big things in your life. So just imagine what a lot of faith in God can do. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, it says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. We have enough faith to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. The problem is once we ask Jesus to save us, if we don't study the word of God regularly, if we don't gather together with other believers, going to church, going to Bible studies, we will not have enough faith to sustain us. That is why Jesus was saying to his disciples, you had faith to believe that I am the son of God, but you did not have enough faith to believe that I have empowered you to do things such as casting the demon out of that young man. Now go with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 9, 1 through 2. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then he called the twelve disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons. Now look at that in relation to what we just read over here in Matthew 17. In Luke chapter 9, he says, He called his twelve disciples together and gave them authority over all demons to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now move down to verse 41 right there in Luke chapter 9 and listen to this. This is the same story that we just read in Matthew 17. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? Bring your son here. 
We see that Jesus gave them power to heal the sick. He gave them power to cast out demons. But when he was not with them, they doubted that the power was real. They lacked faith. Luke 9, 6 says that they preached and healed, but they could not cast out the demons. Many people do the same things today. They have not increased their measure of faith since the time that they got saved. They believe that God is big enough to save them, but they do not have faith to believe that he can deliver them out of whatever is controlling them. I struggled with alcoholism for two and a half years after I got saved because I didn't believe that I didn't have enough faith. Let me say it that way. I did not have enough faith to believe that God could deliver me from that alcoholism. I had my family. I had my, my stepdad. My mom struggled with alcoholism. I had grandparents that struggled with alcoholism. And, and I thought it was a generational curse until I finally realized that he broke the curse. When he died on the cross and he said, it is finished, he broke the curse. I had to have enough faith to believe that the same God that saved me, the same God that filled me with his spirit, the same God that died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father, was the same God that was big enough to destroy alcoholism in my life. We have to have faith to believe that God will supply all of our needs. We have to have faith enough complete trust and allegiance in God, regardless if the proof's there or not. Without this kind of trust, we cannot be pleasing to God. See, even if you can't see it, even if it's not immediate, even if you, even if you don't have the proof in front of you, the Word of God is all the proof that we need. Now, understand, this does not say that God does not love us if we do not have an abundance of faith, but he desires so much more from us and for us in order to please him, we must increase our faith. So how do we increase our faith? Because that's the thing. Now that we know what faith is, faith is allegiance, faith is loyalty, faith is believing God in his word. How do we increase the measure of faith that we have? Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I like what the Message Bible says about Romans 10, 17. The Message Bible says, the point is, before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. That is why we're listening to this message. That's why we go to church. That's why we read our Bible. That's why we go to Bible studies. That's why we pray. That's why these things are so important. The more of God's word we hear, the more our faith in God grows. And the more our faith in God grows, the more pleasing we are to him. Now you may say, well, I'm not I'm not much of a, a faith person. I'm more of a practical person. I've heard people say that before. I'm, I'm more practical than I am a, a faith person. But, but I tell you, you'll never do anything more practical than placing your trust in the Lord. Nothing is more secure than that which you entrust to God. The most practical thing you will ever do in this lifetime is to trust God completely. Give all your devotion to
to him. See, the apostle Paul had been saved and delivered on the road to Damascus. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6 says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise. Go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, I love that. So the the Bible says that Paul is threatening the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he goes to the high priest and he asks for orders. He asks for permission from them, written permission, to be able to to capture, to arrest anybody, the Bible says, of the way. This is before they were called Christians. They were of the way, the way of following Jesus. So Paul, full of anger, full of wrath, he thinks he's doing a good work. He thinks that what he's doing is pleasing to God by by arresting these people and having them killed. But then he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And during this encounter, something amazing happens. So if you study the book of Acts, you'll see the faith in the Lord was 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 not what needed to be first. Let me say that again. If we study the book of Acts, you will see that his faith, Paul's faith in the Lord, was not what it needed to be at first. Acts chapter 9, verse 20 through 21 says, Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem and has come here for the purpose so that he might bring them bound by the chief priest? So here Paul is on his way to arrest people. He has this encounter with Jesus. After three days blind, Ananias prays for him. He receives his sight. And then he goes and he begins to, to preach in the synagogue. And people say, Wait a minute, aren't you the same guy that was telling us that this Jesus was a heretic and you were trying to kill people that followed him? See, Paul preached Jesus, but when he was confronted about the man he once was before his salvation, that began to make him wonder about his faith. See, in order to understand, you must study the history of the Bible. That's why I love reading the Bible in chronological order, because our Bible is not chronological. And so if we read Acts, we understand that Acts covers a period of probably 30 or 40 years, and you don't understand the chronological order of it, and that the books that Paul wrote, the letters that were written, and how they weave into the book of Acts, you don't have clarity. So to give clarity, we need to understand the whole word. We need to understand the chronological order of it. So before you can read in Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 22, you first must understand Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Galatians 1, 15 through 18 says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. 
See, the apostle Paul, after his conversion, went to Arabia for three years for the purpose of studying the scriptures and being ministered to by the Holy Spirit. That's why it says that in Acts chapter 9, 22, Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, providing that Jesus is the Christ. How did Paul go for a, go from being a persecutor of Christians to one that was preaching Christ? How was it when they said, wait a minute, aren't you the same guy that we're, we're trying to uh, capture these people and say that Jesus was a heretic? Now you're preaching to us? How could Paul stand there and declare with confidence because he had an encounter with Jesus that built his faith. He spent three years in Arabia with the Holy Spirit, studying the scriptures, increasing his faith. With greater faith and unwavering trust in the Lord, Paul would go on to travel all over Asia Minor, preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen from the grave. Paul was beaten. Paul was flogged. Paul was stoned. He was shipwrecked and left for dead. Yet, he continued to declare Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 20, verses 18 through 24 says, And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you. And taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the group, Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of those things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, with a greater faith in Christ at the end of Paul's life than at the beginning, Paul could say with boldness, I don't know what will happen, but that doesn't move me because I trust more in Jesus Christ than my circumstances. With all that's going on in the world, with COVID, with all this political unrest, with all of this, uh, these things that are going around and the hate that's being spewed, I don't know how these things are going to end, but none of that moves me because of my faith in Christ, in the Word of God, See, we need to learn, each and every one of us, to have more trust in God than in our circumstances. We need to have more faith in God than in our jobs, in our family, in our friends, in the news media, or the things that are taking place around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. A couple things you need to see right here in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It says, for all the promises. Do you know what the Greek word for all is? <laughs> that was a trick question. All is all. Every promise 
that we find in the Bible, that he'll supply our needs, that he wants to heal us, that he wants us to walk in divine health, that he wants to give us wisdom, that he wants to give us knowledge, that he has filled us with his spirit, that he has promised us an eternal life in heaven. All of the promises of God are in him. And it says, in him, amen. Amen. So be it. That's what amen means. So be it. So all the promises of God, so be it to the glory of God, to, re to receive and to walk in the abundance of God, to walk in his promises, we must live a life that is pleasing to him. To be pleasing to God, we must have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to minister your word. I thank you, Father, for the gifts and callings of God. I thank you for the anointing of God upon my life. And I just pray, Lord God, that as this word goes forth, that you give people that are listening ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive all that your spirit is saying to them. For those that are born again, I pray, Father, that they would do everything they can to increase their faith to be involved in a Bible-preaching church, to be discipled, to, to read their word daily, to pray without ceasing. And for those that may not know you, that somebody shared this podcast with them, I pray that today their heart is softened and that they would cry out to you and they would repent of their sins and ask you to come into their heart and be Lord of their life. Father, I pray, use me, Lord God, not for the building of, of big buildings or the building of large groups of people, but Father, to make disciples because that is the commission of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to encourage, to encounter, and to equip. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week.